Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin and today we'll be speaking with Cecile and Oceane. Cecile Burrell is the mother of three children, uh, all adult children. She's also a grandmother, a gardener, a bush lover and a journal keeper. She is a psychotherapist with over 35 years experience specialising in complex developmental trauma and has a special interest in the use of writing to help process such traumas. Cecile is very actively involved in the Australian and New Zealand Association of Psychotherapy, being on its teaching faculty and management committee. Oceane Campbell is Cecile's third child and frequently wonders how Cecile survived living in a tent for a year with her three children under three. Oceane and her wife have three children on their own and Oceane is a proud and passionate midwife. She has published a number of midwifery articles and presented at many midwifery conferences. And before becoming a midwife, Oceane completed a psychology degree with honours and dabbled in less interesting jobs in corporate advisory and policy writing. Now, they're here today because together they have co-written a raw and original double memoir, The Silence Between Us, as a conversation between mother and daughter. It centres on Oceane's high lethality suicide attempt as an 18 year old, so almost 20 years ago now, and is based on a private diary entries written by Oceane and her mum at the time as they processed their shock, fear and grief and trying to work together to heal. At once delicate and unflinching, the silence between us dares to say all the things we'd rather avoid when it comes to suicide, mental health, women's voices and family relationships. As Patrick McGorry writes in his Moving Forward, while Ocean and Cecile have found healing through writing and testimony, they've also done something of huge importance in wider society by breaking the silence on suicide. They have done this without romanticising issue, rather they enlighten all of us. And here to talk to us now is Cecile and Oceane. Just a heads up to let you know that today's show we will be discussing suicide. So if that's not something that you're um, able to listen to right now, then please feel free to tune out. Otherwise, if you do find anything uh, distressing about today's content, please know that you can call Lifeline on 13114. So welcome to the show, Oceane and Cecile. Now, before we get started today, I understand that, um, Oceane, you've decided that you were happy to say a few words before we start. Is that correct? Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge the Awabakal people who are the owners of this unceded land where we're lucky enough to live and where we wrote this story and, and where we're sharing our story with you today. Beautiful. And here I am on Wurundjeri Country as well, where we're sharing our story. And I'd also like to pay my respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge any listeners who may be uh, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander who might be listening in today. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, you're both here to talk to us about your book, The Silence Between Us. Um, would either of you like to tell us, um, or maybe both of you, what your book is about? Yeah, so thanks so much for having us. Um, our book, The Silence Between Us, is a double memoir. We've weaved together our diary entries and memories from when I was 18, and I just attempted suicide. So it starts with my mum not being able to find me and then realising I'm in ICU. But beyond just the crisis of that moment, it also goes through the impact of sexual assault at college, the health system, the legal system. And also retrospectively, we go through our family history and dynamics and talk about intergenerational trauma. Um, but despite all those topics, it's also I think a joyful story about the healing of our relationship and what can change over time in families, what's possible. I think a lot of what took place in the book was somewhere around 20 years ago. What yeah. prompted you to do this now? Uh, well, for actually it's Ocean who prompted me uh, <laughs> on a bushwalk and that was about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And she said that she felt she really wanted to write her story and publish it, that it could uh, help people. And uh, she then said that she also wanted my voice in the story. Yeah, I think for me, the first 10 years or so after it happened, I just kind of had to live my life. I think then, you know, I traveled and, and got into work and, and studied. And I think it was when I was settled and happy and I was in a wonderful relationship that, I was then ready to explore that time. And I think I just had an urge to do something meaningful with all these memories that were sort of just swimming around in my head. And, you know, it was partly a slow and gradual process just because of life, mm. kids, work, um, and the realities of publishing as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a really important point you make about, you know, that time with settling with trauma. Sometimes that can really, you know, you don't necessarily know how to process it immediately. It takes some time. So, yeah, I can definitely understand that for sure. Absolutely. And suicide can be such a raw topic. So how do you think writing this book might help others who have been through similar experiences? Uh, I hope it makes people realise that as low and hopeless and lost as they might feel, there is a path out of that place that doesn't involve hurting yourself or the people who love you. I hope it gradually helps to change the stigma around suicide and gives people a starting point for conversations around it. I think it's so hard. There's so much shame and taboo attached to suicide and, and mental illness. And so I just hope that this gives an example. When, when I went through this, I remember Googling for books about suicide and there was very little there was nothing that appealed to me and I wish there had been mm. yeah yeah and I think too that could be also be helpful for people who may have unfortunately lost people to suicide as well and have wanting to have that understanding too so I think that yeah. definitely could be helpful in that way storytelling can be such a healing experience you know when you go through um, trauma so how important do you think this has been in helping both of you yeah so I'll go there first um well for me at the time it was happening i was in a state of shock i did expect to to attack herself so much mm. and so the only way for me to to make some sense and settle myself a little bit was to write what was happening day by day you know half day by half day 
I did a lot of waiting in hospital rooms and had a notebook and just uh, write. And that was very helpful at the time. And then I shared my writing with um, some friends. So that was also very helpful to actually tell the story to people I, I trusted. Uh, and since then, I've, I've done a lot of reflection. I've presented uh, about the trauma and writing, how there's a value about writing about trauma. And I think it's because when you write and it's going to be read by other people, you go over it again and again and again because you edit and edit and so edit and so on. Yeah. And so actually, that's a lot of the processing and also I was reflecting on um, there's a, a French word which is remembrement I'm French mm -hmm. and it's a word used in the country when you put little bits of land which are all scattered together to make a farm that's more viable and remembrement is the same word as remember and I think we need to remember our traumas rather than trying and switch them off Oh, it was in the past mm. because they become a big part of ourselves being our lived experiences, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it shapes us too. It shapes every decision we make, everything that we do. It's, it's yeah. a big part of who we are. And if we're unable to process that, that can lead to all sorts of issues as well. Yeah. So I think such you know, big traumas, they really shatter your sense of self. Mm. And remembering is a way of putting yourself back together. Mm. And that storytelling process or even that writing process, I imagine there's a lot of collecting of, you know, thoughts and feelings and putting it all it into one space. Yeah. So it would help you sort of understand how you start and where you get to and all of that in between. It's, exactly. Yeah. No, this for me, there was different parts of the storytelling that helped. I think at the time, it wasn't so much my diaries that mattered to me, but it was um, having lawyers, which you know is part of the story. Um, and I had to go over and over my story and traumas in such fine detail with them for affidavits and, and things like that. And I think having to remember even the smallest detail but doing that in a really safe and compassionate space where I felt strong and supported and where it felt like it was going towards a goal, that was really healing and it was a really mm. great way for me to go through that reprocessing um, at the time. Yeah. I think after that, over the years, I sort of realised that I still actually had a lot of trauma in me about being in the hospital and, and things that had happened in my life before that. And revisiting it writing it down again and doing that editing process that you know my mum just talked about mm. was then a whole nother level of that storytelling mm. and and really helped me realize that I just didn't need to have that story living inside me anymore it was now outside of my body and so I didn't have that repetitive story going right in my head when I would be walking or lying in bed just was what I needed to get it so out of it put it down yeah Adam, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly and yeah. then you know it's been a whole nother level of healing to actually publish I think mm. so much of my shame for me around my life was around silence and 
publishing is kind of the ultimate challenge to overcome that silence. <laughs> not just telling my friend, I'm, I'm saying, hey, anybody, uh, you know, yeah. I'm doing this with anybody who picks up my book. Hugely and brave and inspiring, I can tell. Well, it's you. very exhilarating. <laughs> it's the greatest fear. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. And on that, I guess, what would you say to other people who might be thinking of sharing their story as a way to process their trauma? Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, we've talked how sharing is, is part of the healing. We receive and we're receiving so much uh, gratitude from people, mm. thanking us for, for writing this story in such an honest way. Mm. And so I don't think it's for everybody, but I think everybody has to find their own way to heal through a trauma. And it can be very different for different people, different at different times for the same person. Uh, but so for us, it was the right thing to do. Ocean definitely said, I need to write. I hope it will help people. And for me, I, at that stage, was still, I want to do whatever Ocean needs to heal. Mm. So very much, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very personal, personal. choice, but yeah. one way I find and, it. And I think that's important to assess yourself and know what's important for you, for your own personal safety. I mean, yeah. I think that's it's yeah, truly exactly. important. So yeah, yeah, I think, you know, you've just got to listen to your gut. And yeah, for me, this story was going right in my head for so long. And so I was just relieved when I finally listened to my gut and just let myself write it down. But I think everybody has to do it their own way. You have to follow what makes you know you feel empowered and at ease in the world, so that it's healing rather than re-traumatizing for you. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, um, as I guess re-traumatizing. How did it feel to share such raw and intimate details of your experience? Oh gosh, it was a range of emotions. <laughs> um, it was terrifying. It was exhilarating. It was freeing. Um, I noticed just the other day, I still get butterflies in my tummy when I tell someone who doesn't know my history about the book and I realise they're going to find out all these things about me. Um, I think a real highlight was when Professor Pat McGurry, who was the former, he was Australian of the Year in 2010 and does a lot of great work in this space, and he interviewed us a few weeks ago and he said at the end, that he'd been waiting his whole career for a story like this to share with people. And just hearing that just really oh, made oh, it all worthwhile. Not a lot that makes me cry anymore, yeah. but that really made me blink my eyes a few yeah. times. Yeah. Wow, that's um, really powerful. That's really yeah. great endorsement as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um so what does healing look like after going through not only the initial trauma, but also this shared experience that you've now had together writing this book? I think before the book, our healing was very slow. It certainly started when I was in hospital and I was really forced in a way to reach out to my mum and she showed me that I could trust her and I really realised that she would help me in whatever way she could. But it was really slow and steady. I think the writing really made us lay it all bare between us. Um, we spent a week together at a writer's retreat where we shared our writing for the first time. And that was really huge for us. It really changed how we could talk to each other and the trust and openness that we had. I think for me, my healing started 
very inwardly focused. I had to be very self-centered and, and really nearly selfish in a way. I was so fragile. But now I feel like I can really focus on the outside world. So I feel safe and grounded in my life. And that makes me focus outwardly without feeling like I'm going to lose my sense of self. Yeah, yeah. And for me, healing, well, um, I was talking to Osan and I said, oh, it feels like being just a whole human being who can share my story. It's part of human stories. Uh, so really um, deal with the shame that can be there. Um, you know, I still at times, especially in my profession, because I'm a therapist, I still feel a little bit vulnerable there. Um, but it's like, yeah, I'm a human being and I know about trauma. I know about the, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Uh, I know something about life that has actually enriched me, you know. It really took a lot of me, let's say, in really showing my, my full love to Ocean. So I imagine that would have brought you a lot closer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's beautiful. And um, when you were both going through this 20 years ago, what sorts of supports were available to you and what did you find most helpful? Uh, for me, one of the big first things was finding the Women's Legal Resource Centre. And they set me up with a wonderful legal firm who helped me and that was really life-changing what they did for me. Um, I think having a good GP really matters as well. It took till after my suicide attempt and returning to my old, you know, familiar GP to realise why that was important. I'd been probably let down in that lead up before. Um, and then really the, some of the best ongoing supports came from friendships that I cemented, you know, at the time or afterwards. But that's really hard to do when you're in the depths of despair. I, I couldn't see that they were there at the time. And so I think it was that slow learning that friends do actually want to help you. And, you know, just slowly letting myself open up, being vulnerable and honest made me realise it was safe to let them in and it was okay to ask for help and to let myself be supported. And you know, that was partly made possible by lots of little things around, like doing yoga um, good therapy, having safe places to go, having a sense of, of security and safety again. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, well, within the health system, I felt such a difference between the, let's say, nurses or psychiatrists who showed some empathy to me and I didn't feel judged by them. They showed sadness that, you know, we were going through that. That helped me a lot at the time. And then my friends, they, you know, I have a good net, very good network of friends and they were there and very warm and supportive and just little gestures that were so heartfelt. Yeah. And I'm hearing safety throughout the whole of this is such an yeah. important part of it. And excuse me, even reflecting back, back on the story for you to say that, you know, in the beginning, you know, having to share our experiences when we go through something really traumatic initially mm -hmm. and then finding a really safe space to be able to do that on your own and, and allowing other people, I sort of guess, in that space who are alongside you to help boost up yeah. that safety as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. 
And I think that's true too. Like often when we struggle through these things, we struggle with letting people in. So that's that was really nice to hear as well. Mm. I have no doubt that sharing your story will, you know, help to break down barriers surrounding suicide. How do you feel about the way society treats suicide and what do you think needs to change? Uh, so, I mean, this was 20 years ago, so I hope some things have changed. At the time, I felt so judged and looked down on for my suicide attempt. Some people treated me with real contempt. You know, I think they, you know, they said to me, why would you do something like that? Or, you know, that is so selfish. Um, so I think we need to design services that are in the community and accessible and safe. And there needs to be some services that are really designed for youth and young people who are vulnerable. Um, I think we need to work on preventative health care rather than having the ambulance at the bottom yeah. of the cliff and trying to treat people in emergency departments. Um, you know, and then I guess the other thing that we can just do is to let people talk about their mental health without feeling judged. You know, we can be compassionate and open-minded and educate ourselves on it. And that's something that everyone can do. We don't have to wait for politicians to improve funding to do that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for me, yeah, I'll go with everything Ocean has said, really. Um, the, again, the, the trying not to, to shame people who, who are suicidal or try to suicide suicide and to take the time to listen and to genuinely listen and also for me really uh, my experience and it was 20 years ago but a high security psych unit uh, full of all sorts of people is just not a healing environment for a young suicidal person you know it's more traumatizing it's yeah. much yeah Exactly. Yeah. And you can you can kill yourself in a high security unit. So that's right. I think really they yeah, young people need a place where they feel more at ease. And safe. I think we just keep saying that word, safe. It's so important. Emotionally safe, physically safe. You know, these are all really important things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're both absolutely correct. I agree hundred percent, you know, and as you were talking as Jan about you know, crisis prevention, you know, not let's just wait till we get to that point. Let's have the, dis these discussions beforehand and maybe not be so afraid of that word as well and be able to have a conversation where, you know, this is how a person feels and that's okay. There's no shame there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, part of the reason it took so long to publish this book was because people said, oh, we can't publish a book on suicide. You know, it's well written and great, but we, we can't publish a book on this. And when you think of the statistics of suicide mm -hmm. and how many lives it must touch every single day, you know, it's not just the eight people on average who suicide, it's their family and friends and community. And so you think, well, how can there not be a whole lot of people who, who need to be talking about this and That's starting right. this conversation? I can only imagine how going through this experience was for both of you. How are you both doing now? <laughs> Great. I mean, <laughs> what speaks a lot is I used to live in the Southern Highlands and I've moved 15 minutes walk from Ocean and she has a beautiful family. There are three little children there uh, with whom I love spending time. So yeah, 
we really we've worked so much on our relationships it's just given us a lot it was worthwhile yeah yeah i mean i i never imagined that life could be so good you know even after i came out of that real rock bottom point you know it was a slow and steady climb out as well Hmm. and now when I look back it's just it's hard to believe you know I've got this beautiful family these beautiful kids and a loving wife and I'm a a midwife which I think is just the most blessed and luckiest job in the world you know I get to see (laughs) beautiful babies babies. and it's not just it's about feeling like I can be there for women in that such important moment when we're feeling safe instead of scared is just so important and these you know babies take their first breath you know in my hands and I get to be there as part of that family moment every day and so anyway I I just I've built a life that is so rich and you know resilient and I can't I think I can't ever regret those tough times that I went through I kind of wish that they hadn't happened because they're part of me it's yeah, yeah they're part of me and and I'm okay with that you know I I don't resent that or I don't harbor that um you know angst and, and anger towards you know my mum who you know we had a very difficult relationship 20 years ago and it's such a lovely feeling to have moved oh. through that and to have such a different relationship with her now yeah that's beautiful I think that's that's really powerful really beautiful stuff makes me tingly again (laughs) I think I think there'll be a lot of people listening out there who hopefully can take some inspiration from your story and just the the beauty of the two of you together I mean it's lovely being in this space with you so thank you so much for um coming on the show today now before we we wrap up would you be able to tell our listeners where they can find your book The Silence Between Us yeah absolutely I encourage uh listeners to support their local bookshop most bookshops should have it or they can certainly order it in for you. Um, but of course, it's also available online. So most books, uh, you know, websites like Booktopia have it. And there's a full list of all the websites on the Hardy Grant website who published our book. Wonderful. All right. Well, I'll be sure to keep um, all that information in our show notes so that people can check that out. Thank you so much, Ozian and Liz, uh, Cecile, for coming in today. And it's fantastic talking with you both. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. A very big thank you to uh, Cecile and Ocean for coming on the show today and sharing their story with our listeners. Um, I will be sure to include some information about their book, The Silence Between Us, in our show notes for today's show. If you found any of the content in today's show distressing, please know that you can have a chat to someone at Lifeline on 131114. Just want to let everyone know that um, a couple of weeks ago we ran a competition with our listeners um, via some of the Worldway social media platforms and also 3CRs as well. Flick Manning kindly offered a copy of her book Living Human to our listeners and we would like to congratulate Fiona on winning a signed copy of Living Human and just to let you know Fiona that that will be sent out to you very soon. And you can find more of our shows on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, or on Spotify, or wherever you happen to download um, your 3CR podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share some feedback with us or suggestions for future shows, um, or you've got a story to share, please email us at brainwaves at Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe. And we will be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.